This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today on this February 24th. And what a busy February 24th it is. For those of you who maybe haven't heard, if you haven't checked the markets lately, last night Russia invaded Ukraine. They advanced troops across the far eastern border. They also shelled the country from the north, and that has the commodity markets roiled. We'll be talking to Jim McCormick of agmarket.net here in just a minute. Then even with all the, the focus on Russia and the Ukraine, the story of agriculture still has a lot to do with Southeast Asia. Maria Ziba, she's the Assistant Vice President of International Affairs with the National Pork Producers Council, will join us in segment two. There's talk, potentially, of rejoining the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Maria's been researching that. She'll share her insights with us later. Then we're going to hear from Arlen Suderman. This story of these markets today is a big one. We want to be sure we cover all of it, so stick around. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman in segment three. And then finally... Later on today, we're going to talk to Courtney Nupp. She is with the National Pork Board. She's their international market development person. Also had a chance to talk to folks over in Southeastern Asia recently. She'll give us an outlook on how the pork sector is viewing that part of the globe. But before we get too much farther, it's time to talk to Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Jim, these markets, have you ever seen prices move like we saw last night after Russia advanced into the Ukraine? I think you got to go back to probably 2008 during the housing market when Bear Stearns blew up in March and the market really kind of accelerated after Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns. That was interesting enough to the downside, unlike what happened here last night, at least on the commodity side, this surges to the upside as uh, people are very concerned about the amount of being able to get commodities out of that part of the world due to this war going on. Yeah, Jim, I mean, it sounds like there's really there's two different tacks happening today in the market. There's the fear and the panic that has certainly gripped the world of commodities. But there's also legitimate potential upsets to fundamental supply, supply and demand from the Ukraine. How much grain could be disrupted if it was on through planting and growing season this year? I mean, it could be quite a bit. I mean, you're looking at roughly 15 percent of the world's exportal supply of wheat comes out of the Ukraine and the Russia, the United States, as well. The rest of the world is saying they're going to put sanctions on Russia. Does that mean it's going to limit some of their export potential? The Ukraine situation, they a lot of their corn goes to, you know, China, other parts of Europe. You know, can they get it planted? That's a legit situation if they can. Now, one thing, you know, the market's really nervous about it, and that's why the market was bid limit up at one time overnight. We have come off limit a little bit on the corn at this point. But, you know, what we're worried about, you know, right now is the near-term effect. But it's not a catastrophe just yet. You know, if their production would be down 10, 15 million metric tons or their exportal supply down 10 to 15 million metric tons, some of that will probably be offset by the Brazilians. Remember, Brazil crop was beat up dramatically last year due to that drought. Their crop does look like it has rebounded a little bit. So essentially, we might lose some export production capacity out of Ukraine. That'll be offset a little bit by Brazil. But the reality is we don't know how this is all going to play out. I think we're just very early, maybe the first or second inning of a nine inning ball game. 
All right. So as you watch how this first or second inning has looked, Jim, this is quite a show for a first inning of a baseball game. Which of of the three major sectors that that we watch predominantly, wheat, corn, and soybeans, the Russian move, you see primarily impacting wheat and corn, with wheat being the biggest uh, or seeing the most global impact? Would that be accurate? The first one is probably the wheat because they're definitely the dominant player of the wheat between those two countries. Second would probably be the corn in situation. Russia doesn't export a lot of corn, but the Ukrainians do. But there's something that we haven't talked about that we probably remember, sunflower oil, sunflower seeds. The Ukraine, they're not the biggest exporter, but they are the biggest producer of that veg oil in the world. So if they continue to have problems, they won't be able to export the veg oil, maybe not produce it. That is going to tighten a veg oil market that's already tight. Even before the invasion happened, palm oil was trading at all-time highs. This is just going to really tighten that situation potentially. So that palm oil market, veg oil market, that's going to affect our bean oil market. Hence, you saw the very strong move in the beans. So they're all kind of interconnected. They are. And you mentioned that move about the veg oils. I had not considered sunflowers in the Ukraine. That is a fantastic point, Jim. As you think about really the economics of the bean processing business and bean oil in particular, looking today, March bean oil at 72, almost 73 bucks. How much higher can it run and see processors still make a living using bean oil? It's, you know, right now it's kind of the hard part about it. You know, bean oil. A lot of it's using food. Food is relatively inelastic. I mean, that's part of the problem we're facing as a nation right now is we definitely got a lot of inflation problem going on. Um, You may not need that new TV. It's more of a want than a need in a lot of cases. But you need food to survive. You need energy to go to work. So when you say how high do you got to go to essentially stop the demand for that product, it's a hard to... it's hard to ration food because it is inelastic in that aspect. So uh, it's, I, I really not going to venture how high is high because it's just, you know, it's, it's willing It's how much will consumer willing to spend. You saw a lot of headlines today on the price of bread and it's going to go up, but you know, what's a loaf of bread cost? Yeah. What's a cup of coffee for Starbucks cost? People are going to buy what they, you know, they're going to buy that bread. They're going to buy that veg oil. So the market's goal is to do it. And what's probably going to really in will solve the problem is big crops. Mm. If we can have a really good crop in the United States, it will take a lot of angst out of the market. But the problem is, all you got to do is look at the drought monitor and you realize that's definitely not a sure bet. So it's something we're, you know, this market volatility, like I said, I think that's part of the reason why we're only early in this game. We're dealing with the Ukraine situation. You still got to deal with our production capacity, Mother Nature this year, and you still have problems in China. You know, it's been on the back burner. COVID is coming down in the United States, which is great, but COVID is still raging through China. China has, you know, I didn't know they've gotten rid of that, you know, trying to stop it like they have been. But if they continue to have problems in China and Hong Kong and all that, logistics issues of all the products we get from China are probably not going to be solved. They're only going to get worse, which could even exasperate, you know, the problems you're already seeing. Yeah, no, they certainly could. Jim, as you look out, we are seeing feeder cattle taking it on the chin today. I think limit down last I looked, of course, that trade's going to be volatile all day. Where do you see feeder cattle going from here? Is this just a march downward as this corn tries to find a, a level where it plateaus? I think it is at this point in time because the feeder cattle guys are really in a tough situation right now. You're looking at your input costs going through the roof. You know, you look at grass, which could be a problem because it's dry as can be. And then you look at your end product, the price of beef. Overall, 
I've been relatively optimistic on the demand for beef. I, you know, the the American consumer has still has a lot of money sitting in reserve. They haven't been spending it in general. They've been cooped up for one, two years. I think a lot of people want to go out and spend that money. They want to go on vacation. They want to buy, go out and barbecue. So I think that's a good sign for beef. But, you know, the reality is this whole invasion of what's going on is going to shift that paradigm a little bit. The price of gas is going to get a lot more expensive and we'll have to see. So it's something that the feeder cattle think they're going to be a little bit tough, tough sledding near term. All right. Lots to keep an eye on. This market is going to continue to move. We'll continue to bring you updates. This was Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, stick around. When we return, Maria Zeba of the National Pork Producers Council will join us. We're going to take a look at the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care, and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. 
Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to continue to discuss the markets all day today. We'll hear from Arlen Suderman just a little bit with a look at the energy complex, which is being massively affected, and a look at the dollar, which is screaming higher in value. So stay with us. We'll talk about that and continue to get caught up on the Ukrainian um, invasion from Russia. But we've also got to talk about what is happening around the world. And I'm going to focus on the pork industry today. Joining me next is Maria Ziva. She's the Assistant Vice President of International Affairs with the National Pork Producers Council. And Maria has recently written an article and it was published in uh, a Farm Journal's Pork Magazine that was titled, Joining the CPTPP Would Boost Pork Ag Exports to the Pacific Rim Region. And I figured it was time to talk to Maria because we haven't talked about the TPP in a while. Maria, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Let's talk. Let's give folks a refresher. It's been a couple years since the TPP has been a topic of discussion. What was the Trans-Pacific Partnership and what is the CPTPP today? Well, the TPP was an agreement that the United States was part of, um, but never formally, um, it never formally went into effect. Um, it originally started, you have to kind of go back a little bit, it originally started with the P4, which was the Trans-Pacific Strategic Economic Partnership, and that was with New Zealand, Chile, Brunei, and Singapore. And after that, um, they, they came knocking to the U.S. and asked the U.S. to join, and, and it became the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And what was important about the Trans-Pacific Partnership was that it really focused on the elimination of tariffs for agricultural goods. And it set the standards and rules for not only ag goods, but digital services, autos, um, the, the list goes on. But the most important part was that it provided mar market access for the United States pork industry and other agricultural goods, and it leveled the playing field. And, and we were really, really optimistic in, in joining and fought really hard to get a really great deal um, in, in Japan and Mexico, Canada, Peru, Vietnam, uh, Australia, Chile. But um, unfortunately, the, the Trump administration and President Trump on his first day uh, withdrew the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, and now we are encouraging, it, it went on ahead of, and it turned into the comprehensive and progressive trans-pacific partnership and now it's time for the united states to re-engage and be part of this what is the the conversation happening in washington dc about the cptpp is there a concerted effort to get the u.s to become a member again or or are you kind of a voice in the wilderness maria well, Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa yesterday spoke at a, on a panel that I actually moderated um, for Farmers for Free Trade, and this is one of the things that she brought up, is the need for the United States 
to re-engage in, in the Southeast Asian and Asian Pacific um, and to, to be part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So there is momentum that's building, not just with us in the pork industry, but uh, up on the Hill and with other business groups and leaders who, who can see that the United States is being left behind in this vitally important region. Well, and Maria, I think that's the question. We've now got a few years of the CPTPP in operation. Those countries have already started to reduce their tariffs. Are you, as somebody who watches this sector very closely, are you seeing some benefits? Are they trading more with each other? Are we growing the overall pie? Is is the program working this far into it so far? Yeah, well, you know, CPTPP was ratified by six countries. There's 11 countries in total without the United States. Um, and it entered into force in um, December 30th of 2018. So we've had a few years to look at this and see how it's working out. And so far, it's been working out really well for everybody else that's, that's part of the, the agreement. Um, we've seen how pork has continued to flow into parts like Vietnam, which is struggling with production issues because of African swine fever. And we've seen a lot of um, uh, other countries take benefits um, in, in what was negotiated within the CPTPP. To make matters worse, the Europeans uh, essentially copy and pasted the, the agricultural provisions and, what, and the market access for, uh, that we got, um, in, that the United States had, had gotten and negotiated under the TPP, and they're now seeing the benefits of what our U.S. producers were supposed to get. So it's, it's kind of a, a double whammy because not only is the United States not part of the agreement um, and everybody moved ahead without us, but then the European Union got in there and, and got the better deal in, in all these countries. So uh, it, it certainly has put us at a disadvantage and it's really unfortunate that we're not the ones setting the stage and setting the standards um, on agricultural goods or, or whatever the, the issue may be. Yeah, and you mentioned it's it's kind of a double whammy. In fact, it's almost a triple whammy, Maria, because the the China, who was really sort of the target of the TPP, we're going to have a whole bunch of countries to sort of counterweight to China. But now they've been able to put together their own trade agreement in Southeast Asia. Can you tell us a little bit about what they've been working on? Yeah, so within the, the RCEP um, is a, an agreement that essentially is um, – not as many commitments in as the the comprehensive interest uh, the CPTPP, uh, comprehensive and progressive trans-Pacific partnership, but certainly um, does align these countries with the the Chinese strategy. Um, in the tumultuous world that we live in, that's certainly not not something that that we are fond of seeing. Um, and ultimately, you know, you can lower the tariffs, you can. But the, the most important part, I think, is being able to be in the region and having a presence, not only economically, but then it also translates to a national security issue and, and having that, that partnership economically ultimately signals to these countries the United States not only is a good trading partner for you, um, but is, is going to be there as a counterweight to, to China. Um, so it's it's a uh, quite comprehensive, um, and there's so many different um, facets to to this that that are go beyond just the tariffs. 
Well, and that, Maria, as I think about the opposition that I've heard from some folks to to TPP at the time six years ago and now the CPTPP, I mean, clearly it was one of President Trump's first actions was removing the United States. There does seem to be a lot of opposition. I've heard it's it's just too big. It's too complicated. What are the hurdles that the American ag industry would face in getting CPTPP uh, affirmed in this country? Well, there's there's a few. I mean, when... Uh, these countries moved ahead without the United States, there were some, some things that changed. And some of the, the issues that, that the Trump administration cited um, as being concerns was that, yeah, it could have been too big, but they, they saw it as more of a national security um, issue and saying, well, you know, we, we, we don't need to be in that region. Um, and, and so what we really need to see is um, the renegotiation of a number of, of um, factors. So for the United States to, to move into CPTPP or be reauthorized in, not only do all the members of the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, all 11 countries, they have to say, yes, we would like the United States to go in, but then we also have constraints in the United States, and that's either congressional or special interests and that can and and what we saw a lot of that play out with the negotiations of the USMCA, the the agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And what we're going to see if and when the United States rejoins CPTPP would be a reengagement and a renegotiation on some key provisions, whether they're on labor environment. Uh, we're going to have to relook at the pharma. Um, statutes and, and autos, rules of origin, those are some of the things that really held us up um, the first round and the first get, um, the first time we, we were trying to get in. Well, and as we think about a timeline, Maria, it took a lot of years to get to that point. We were at six years ago when the U.S. backed out. What would you estimate if conversations are starting now? You mentioned Joni Ernst is on board. Do you think the realistically rejoining CPTPP in 2025, if everything started to work? Well, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, the Biden administration just announced the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, and that is not going, this is a new initiative by the administration um, to work in Southeast Asia um, to increase transparency, um, free and open societies, work on labor and environment, but hopefully that's a, that's a stage and that we can build from that and build the momentum um, to re-enter after. All right, that Indo-Pacific framework, we'll be watching to see how that progresses. Maria Ziba, National Pork Producers Council, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you so much. And folks, stick around. When we return, Arlen Suderman of Stonex will help take a look at these markets. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the focus of the markets appears to be squarely on the Russian invasion of Ukraine with commodity prices mostly sharply higher and equity sharply lower. Quarter wheat uh, remaining at or near limit highs on the prospect that exports from the Black Sea will be interrupted. In fact, Ukraine shutting down their ports as conflict threatens grain supplies, according to Reuters. And we see more than 100 ships backed up at the Kerch Strait between Crimea and mainland Russia, meaning that commodities are not flowing through the strait. Crude oil prices spiked above $100 a barrel earlier today on fears that Russian supplies will be taken off the table, and that impacted world vegetable oil prices as well. Now, maybe soybeans reacting a little bit to the numbers from the USDA Ag Outlook Forum going on today. As soybeans are backing off, we see planting estimates of 92 million acres for corn, 88 million acres for soybeans, and 48 million acres for wheat. Right now on the board, we take a look at grain prices. May quarter 18 and a half higher, 6.99 and three quarters. December quarter up five at 6.16 at a quarter. May soybeans down a half a penny now, 16.70 and a half. Soybeans for September down three and a half, 15.32. Looking over at May soybean oil currently, that is up 172.72.30. May soybean meal down 6.70 a ton, 459.30. May Chicago wheat 47 and a quarter higher, 932. May Kansas City wheat up 49 and a quarter, 967 and a quarter. And May spring wheat up 27, 1029 and three quarters. Over in the livestock trade, sharply lower action there with the rise in grain prices. April hogs down 190, 106.12. March feeder cattle 425 lower, 158.52. And live cattle for April down 177, 142.97. Crude oil up 510 a barrel at 97.20. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about the potential impact on the grain markets if Russia were to invade Ukraine. Well, last night that happened. And today we are seeing the actual impacts of what the markets would do after that happened. And boy, is it a busy day. Joining us in this segment, it's Arlen Suderman of Stone X. Arlen, let's talk about the dollar first. We've seen the U.S. dollar, the dollar index has climbed phenomenally today. Are we just the best safe haven bet right now in this time of uncertainty? Yeah, that, that is an indicative of a safe haven trade. When we see the buying of the dollar and then when we see treasury yields fall as it have. Now, treasury yields have recovered to a great extent and some of that's the inflation play on expectations that this is just going to contribute more to inflation as we see prices of raw commodities surge the way they have. Uh, but the dollar being up as strong as it is, uh, is really uh, all about a safe haven play as the world says, oh, no, we don't know what's going to happen because there are some significant potential you know, fearful unknowns here. What if Putin continues, goes across Ukraine and then bumps up against the, the Baltics, which he has previously said should be his as well? Um, those are NATO defended nations. That means Europe and the United States would be engaged in war with a nuclear power. That's a lot of uncertainty. And so when people aren't certain, they want to go to the safe haven investments. That certainly makes sense. And Arlen, obviously, this is the biggest uh, upset in the market that at least I personally have been a part of watching. As you think about how these massive international global events filter through and then come into our markets, watching this move, this this rush to safe haven investing status from uh, from global investors into the dollar, how long is this going to last? I mean, we're up, geez, almost 1.3 points today in the U.S. dollar. I can't imagine that's a quote unquote sustainable way to rally this thing. Yeah, I think we're going to see some big price swings. Keep in mind that we're already in an environment that's very rich with money, with trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary stimulus in the system, and much of that has made its way into the marketplace. And it's being driven by computers, computers who read, that read headlines and that read technical chart signals. And so when, and these computer programs are all very similarly programmed. And so when you start in a particular direction, it can just amplify in that direction, and then all of a sudden it can flip and go the opposite direction, and that can happen in a, you know, between week to week, day to day, hour to hour, or even minute to minute. You can have that, and I think we're going to continue with that until we get some greater clarity, because we ultimately don't know Putin's long-term objective here. Is it just to go to Ukraine? Uh, will he just sweep in and then be done, put in his puppet regime, and then pull out? Uh, will we see a tremendous sanctions from the West be countered by sanctions from Putin and this continues to escalate? Will he march his troops up to the border uh, with NATO member countries and sit there and create additional tensions that are going to continue for months ahead? Uh, those are questions that we don't have the answers to. Putin is playing the chessboard. He's making the moves, and the West is responding to those moves. And so now we're waiting, what's his next move going to be? And how will that impact uh, commodities? How will it impact the economy? How will it impact inflation? How will it impact currency exchange rates? So many different things here at play. The Black Sea region is a major exporter of commodities now. 
10% of our energy crude oil comes from there. Uh, a third of Europe's natural gas comes from there. Uh, a considerable amount of our world fertilizer supply comes from there. 29% of our uh, exportable wheat supplies come from Russia and Ukraine. 16% of our exportable corn supplies come from Ukraine. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And right now, ships are being disrupted, just the uh, Kerch Strait, which goes between Crimea and uh, the mainland of Russia. There's 100 ships backed up, many of them which would contain commodities coming out of that region, be it crude oil, be it wheat or, or whatever, be it fertilizer. And, and that's just the beginning of right now what we're seeing getting backed up and impacting the global economy and global markets. You know, you mentioned crude oil there, Arlen, and certainly as we think about this Russia-Ukraine crisis, energies have really been at the top of the focus list for a lot of people. West Texas Intermediate Crude touched $100 this morning. Arlen, for producers out there who are looking ahead to spring planting, we're looking ahead to the fuel needs we're going to have this year. How do you manage your risk when there's a market that we're seeing $5 added to crude oil today? How are option pricing responding to this kind of movement in the markets? Yeah, work work with your supplier. Most producers are not individually large enough to take on a futures contract to protect their risk or something like that. But cumulatively, they can work with their suppliers to put on risk protection positions to protect costs, um, not only on fuel, but perhaps on fertilizer as well or some of their other crop inputs. But it's also a reminder that when you're looking at pricing ahead, for production that you have not produced yet, that you need to be doing what you can to lock in input prices because inputs can soar after you've priced your grain. Uh, and uh, so you can be left hanging out there with negative returns. So you need to be watching both sides of your balance sheet right now, working with suppliers wherever possible to try to do what you can to lock in both sides so you're working on the margin and not just one side of that margin. Arlen, you mentioned fertilizer, and of course, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, massive producers of fertilizer, massive global exporters of fertilizer. As you take a look at the fertilizer industry as it sits right now, how do you see it responding? Obviously, prices are going to be elevated for some time. Yeah, we saw urea prices at New Orleans this morning go up to pricing at about $710 a ton. That was up about thirty, a little over 30% from yesterday. And uh, we're a global market for fertilizer. You look at uh, Russia, it exports about 14% of the world's export volume of urea. It's about 7 million metric tons per year. Uh, UAN exports vary from 1.8 to 2.7 million metric tons. That's between 23 and 31% of global export volume. Diammonium phosphate, monoammonium phosphate, there's about 3.5 million metric tons of that or about 11% of global export volume. They have about 19% of the global potash operating capacity. Belarus adds another 15%. That They're very much right in involved with Russia, with Russia having control of Belarus now. So it we were already in a very tight situation. We've just made it tighter potentially with the inability of fertilizer to flow out of that region. Then if we see, and that's an if, if we see Russia try to put the squeeze on Europe by reducing its natural gas 
supply. Remember, it supplies one-third of Europe's natural gas, and it's still winter there trying to keep warm with that natural gas. If they reduce those supplies, sending prices sharply higher and holding there, they're going to make a decision. We'd rather heat our homes with natural gas than make fertilizer. That would shut down fertilizer production in Europe again, like what happened in the fall, further tightening global supplies. So this is not just a U.S. problem. This is a global problem now as we're planting the safrina corn crop in Brazil and as we're approaching the northern hemisphere growing season when fertilizer needs are high. Absolutely. Arlen, you think about it being a global market, a global scenario. As you think about global inflation, this rise in energy prices, gas moving up towards four bucks a gallon, diesel well over four bucks globally, all of these higher prices. Could this reduce the overall inflationary pressure that we're seeing? And, and maybe the Fed wouldn't need to hike rates as many times? Well, basically what you're saying is, would it slow down the economy enough to where consumers would slow their purchases and therefore ultimately initially raise inflation, but ultimately maybe shut down the economy enough that we would reduce inflation longer term? Uh, and that's a possibility. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing the stock market sell off so hard is, is that very type of a fear. Um, the Fed certainly, its intention was to raise interest rates at their March meeting. The expectation was that they would go up 25 to 50 basis points and maybe as much as 175 or 200 basis points by the end of this year and maybe even start withdrawing stimulus from the system. This all creates a whole different dynamic now for the Fed meeting on March 15th and 16th. Of course, by then, Hopefully, we'll know a lot more about what's going to evolve in the Black Sea region between Russia and Ukraine. Things may have all settled down and may be over by then, sadly for many Ukrainians who may have lost their lives by then, or we may still be deeply mired in a much broader conflict type of a thing. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty now, and those risks are certainly present and something our policymakers are going to be wrestling with. Yeah, they certainly are. Arlen, as you think out to the remainder of this growing season, we've got a lot of grain to market. Do you anticipate this volatility sticking with us for the remainder of the year, just given the, the confluence of factors that are out there? I, I do expect that we're going to see continued wide price swings going forward. We still have some significant production risks. Uh, for example, with the production risks in Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, Right now, here it is, late February, they're harvesting soybeans in Brazil, and supplies at the port in Brazil now are running 40 to 50 cents more expensive than U.S. Gulf soybean supplies after a surge in basis over the last couple of days, just because of those production risks. Those global prices marching higher. Arlen Suderman of Stonex, thanks for taking the time and sharing with us your insight. Thank you. Folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk with Courtney Nupp. She's the Vice President of International Market Development at the National Pork Board. She's going to fill us in on how we've been managing pork trade with Southeast Asia in the absence of TPP. Stick around on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? 
You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Continuing to keep an eye on the Ukraine situation. We do have some breaking news. President Biden right now is meeting with the group of seven leaders. He is expected to speak to the nation later today, and he'll be outlining the sanctions that the U.S. and, I assume, our European partners, other group of seven uh, members, will be pursuing against Russia. So tomorrow on AOA, our friend John Hulsman will be joining us from Milan, Italy, and we are going to talk about really what Biden's proposing and how these these sanctions might impact the direction of this battle in the Ukraine. So stay with AOA on this topic. We will continue to bring you updates each day because this is certainly moving the markets. But despite the situation in the Ukraine, we have ag business happening around the world. There is many ships full of pork right now headed over to Southeast Asia looking for consumers. And one of the people in charge of identifying those consumers and making sure they're getting the American pork they need is Courtney Nup. She's the vice president of international market development at the National Pork Board. Courtney, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. You recently were over in Dubai talking to Asian pork buyers. Bring us up to speed. What does the market for pork look like in Southeast Asia here two years into this COVID catastrophe? Yep. Asia is a very dynamic market, and it's one of huge importance for uh, current business and opportunity growth for U.S. pork exports, both primal cuts and variety meat exports. It's important to look, you know, especially in 2021, we just got year-end data. And the value of our exports increased 5% year over year, uh, valued at $8.1 billion, and, you know, volume was slightly under last year, but we're seeing value increase, which is hugely important. Key markets, if we look at our top seven currently, are Japan, South Korea, and the Philippines, and all of them saw increases over the prior year. Uh, A big focus of the National Pork Board is making sure that we're diversifying markets as much as possible because our reliance on China can put us at risk because they are a very inconsistent partner. So Asia is a huge focus for us. Yeah, that concern about China, I've heard that from several folks, both inside the pork industry and inside the beef industry, the concerns that, oh boy, we put a lot of eggs in that basket and China steps back, we'll notice. Courtney, where are you looking to diversify? You talked about Japan, South Korea, and Vietnam, great markets for U.S. pork. What other places in Southeast Asia are you watching for demand to grow in the future? 
Sure. In addition to Japan, South Korea, and the Philippines, which the Philippines, we saw a huge growth. Um, you have to watch this. Some very unique dynamics are happening in that region, including the spread of African swine fever, which is affecting domestic production in many key markets, including Thailand, uh, Vietnam, and the Philippines. Uh, we also have an eye on Indonesia. We see them as a developing market, and uh, there's a lot of consumers over there. So, I want to mention, though, we, we work very closely with our partners, which are the U.S. Meat Export Federation and the United States Department of Agriculture on this diversification strategy. And overall, through our in-country promotion, having boots on the ground, we're able to work with consumers to continually show that we're a safe and high-quality product for them and their consumers. You know, when we think about food safety, Courtney, those of us in the U.S. kind of ignore it and we just take it for granted. Our food, of course, it's safe. But over in Southeast Asia, I mean, that's a real advantage that American ag products, in particular pork and meat, bring to these these communities is a history of food safety. Is that something that sells when you're talking to consumers over there? That's huge. And we can actually uh, lift up our good production practices here in the United States. It's a key differentiator. We do take food safety for granted. And a lot of those markets, that's their number one concern when buying meat and poultry products, in addition to obviously price. But we're also seeing trends on items such as sustainability. And we know we have a great story to tell, and we're working to make sure that sustainability and different qualities such as flavor and consistency uh, in, in our ability to supply and in our product taste. That's front and center associated with the U.S. pork logo. That makes perfect sense. Courtney, I want to ask you about a country not quite in Asia, but certainly it's the subcontinent. India was announced earlier this year. India has allowed the sale of U.S. pork in country. When do you anticipate that getting underway? And how big a deal is India taking U.S. pork products? We're excited about India. It's something that I know the industry has worked on for decades now. It's a tough market to get into. So for our access of products such as, um, you know, bacon or processed products for the hotel restaurant industry, uh, India as a country doesn't consume a lot of meat, uh, but there is a subsection of a huge population that does consume pork and we're actively seeking out those opportunities. So we hope to see some product flowing, uh, but it's a big opportunity and it's, it's a very precedent, precedent setting uh, for a tough trading partner. Indeed. And it's tough, I think, for me personally to grasp the scale of the market in India. I was talking to somebody, I forget who, they said that really pork buyers in India might be about 30% of the population, but that's more than the entire population of the United States. So it is a big market of folks in India. Uh, Courtney, you recently were in Dubai, a country that's not known for eating a lot of pork, obviously a Muslim majority country. What was it like in Dubai representing the pork industry? It was fascinating because you're right, it's not a pork forward market in regards to their religious preference. However, the city of Dubai is very interesting because of the large percentage, 80 plus percentage are actually expatriates. So there are grocery stores that cater to those communities and actually have pork offerings. And they're often in a back room of the grocery store. Uh, there's a non-Muslim section. And we saw some great options, immaculate packaging, immaculate cuts, and we saw some great U.S. products on the shelf, which is really fun to see. Uh, we were actually in Dubai because the meeting for the Asia Meat Club that we participate in was supposed to be in Bangkok. But due to the COVID-19 situation, we relocated to Dubai because that was the best option for in-person attendance globally. 
That makes sense. It was fascinating to see some of those pictures. The Dubai market is interesting. A lot of Lamborghinis, a lot of Ferraris over there. Courtney Nupp, she's the Vice President for International Market Development at the National Pork Board. Courtney, thanks for talking to us and thanks for getting the word out about U.S. pork. Thank you. Eat some U.S. pork today, everyone. Always good advice. And folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll be talking to Jackie Fatka about the National Ethanol Conference happening down south. And we're going to be talking to John Holzman about the ongoing struggles in Ukraine. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.